So we're going to pick up our study in Acts today, in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. And the title of today's message is A Straight Course. A Straight Course. You know, maybe you've heard before that a shortest point between, a shortest distance or shortest direction or whatever between two points on a map is a straight line. You know, in reality, that's not the case because, you know, the map is flat, but the earth is round. Um, sorry to break it to you, the earth isn't flat. Uh, the, we, the sun doesn't revolve around us, apparently. I mean, there are still conspiracy theorists out there who believe these things, but um, maybe maybe they're right. I don't know. I've never been in outer space, but the shortest point between... Uh, Shortest distance between straight two points on a map is a straight line. Um, maybe if you've gone on vacation, um, you've figured out, okay, well, this is the way we're going to go. This is the route we're going to go. In the old days, maybe you used the map. Uh, now you just kind of plug it in the GPS or talk to your phone and it gives you directions. And you kind of hope for the right, the right path. Um, you know, you can, on Google Maps, you can select whether you're on a bike or whether you're uh, in your car or whether you're doing mass transit. It'll give you the most direct route that way. Um, I can remember going to Philadelphia years ago with some friends. We just went down to do a day trip, and we're walking around with a handheld GPS from a car, and uh, it's telling us to make like a right turn and a left turn, and like, well, we can just go right up here because it's a one-way road, so we were kind of disobeying the GPS to get to where we needed to go, but um, maybe you can relate to that. But I don't know if you've ever gone on a scenic route. Uh, when my wife and I were dating, we used to talk about a scenic route. There was a song that we liked about the scenic route. And, you know, at the end of the night, you know, you don't want the date to be over. So you take the long way home. You know, you take the detour the long way. So you get that extra two minutes in the car or that extra couple of minutes with a person. And now that we're married, she's like, all right, let's just go. Let's just get there, get back. <laughs> the babysitters are probably tired. You know, you know, let's go on the direct route. Um, but that's what, what we're going to see here today is that they're taking a straight course, a direct path to get somewhere. Um, and they're not taking the scenic route. They're not beating around the bush. They're just going to get straight to it. You know, Proverbs 4, 25 through 27 says, Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left and remove your foot from evil. Let this proverb is saying, look straight ahead. Don't get distracted. Make sure that you're stepping and going in the right places. And when you're going in the right direction, don't go left. Don't go right. Keep going in that right and straight direction. You know, we talk about um, the Christian life being like a minefield. We need to walk circumspectly and make sure we're not stepping in the wrong place. You know, when you walk through your minefield, you want to follow, I guarantee you, the right way through that minefield. But Isaiah uh, says in 30, uh, 21 says this, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand, or whenever you turn to the left. This is saying, even when you're making directions, even when that straight path includes going left and going right, that listen, listen for the guidance of God. Listen for that still small voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. You know, uh, when I was a kid, I think it might have been my brothers and then, you know, him being 14 years older than I, I got passed down to me or something. But it was this uh, little picture, and maybe I've shared it with you before, but it was this kind of young man, like teenage looking man, uh, painting in front of a wheel of a boat, a picture of like the old round wheels with the, the spokes on the side that they grabbed. And then Jesus was behind him and it was in a storm. And when I think of this verse, because my mom used to always tell me about this verse, I think of that picture, you know, that there's that Jesus is behind you. You've got your hands on the wheel, not Jesus take the wheel, like that country song or whatever. But he's got this still small voice behind you saying, this is the way. No, go left a little bit. Go right a little bit. And I think we all need to be a little sensitive to that. And I'm sure you are. 
but just to be, to be reminded to be sensitive to that too. Man, as we're going through life and we begin to take a step in a direction, as we hear, we go a little bit left and we hear a voice, no, keep going that way or, or don't go that way or don't step there, that we would be responsive to that. You know, Matthew Henry's commentary on Isaiah 30, 21 is this. Uh, it is supposed that they might be brought into straits and troubles after this deliverance was wrought for them, that they were being uh, delivered from captivity and delivered from uh, oppression. And it was promised in verse 19 that they would weep no more and that God would be gracious to them. And yet here it is taken for granted that God may give them the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. Prisoners fare, First Kings 22. Coarse and sorry food such as the poor use. When one trouble is over, we know not how soon another may succeed. And, uh, and we may have an interest in the favor of God and such consola consolations as are sufficient to prohibit weeping and yet may have bread of adversity given to us to eat and the water of affliction and drink. Let us therefore not judge of love or hatred by what is before us that, yeah, they were going to be freed and they were going to go out into a new land and be taken care of. But man, in that, they may still get these afflictions. You may still get these, these troublesome times and that we shouldn't uh, judge whether God is loving us or hating us, so to speak based on what's going on around us. But again, to listen to that still small voice, say, hey, this is the way, walk in it. It may be hard, it may be difficult, but keep walking through it. And we know that because God loves us. You know, if, if we didn't believe God loves us, um, we probably wouldn't want to go through and, and, and go through the things that sometimes he allows in our lives. You know, there's a saying that rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And man, when our life with Jesus is based on rules and hard times comes, man, sometimes we don't want to, we don't want to keep going and we rebel, but man, when, when those hard times come and we know that our relationship with the Lord is, is a good one and that he means good for us, um, it's a lot easier sometimes, I think, to keep going in the right direction. But last time we saw that, uh, you know, the, the past couple times that uh, the, the Greeks had been uh, a burden put on them by the Jews to uh, carry out the Mosaic law, even though they were believers. Uh, the apostles got together. They had uh, basically a convention and said, Hey, this this is this isn't right. This isn't what the Bible teaches. They need to to do a couple of things to make sure that they're going in the right direction. But they don't need to follow the Mosaic law. They don't need to to do certain things uh, to be made right with Jesus because of what Jesus did on the cross. So they wrote a letter. They delivered this letter. They began sharing it with the churches. They sent Paul and Barnabas and some other guys down to share this with the church and make sure that the church was aware and that uh, these believers weren't burdened anymore by this. And we saw that they rejoiced over that. Uh, and last time we talked about doing well, that we need to continue doing well, that we need to continue going and, uh, and going forward in those things. We saw that after they had shared and stayed for a little while, a few of the guys depart, but we're left with Paul, Barnabas, and Silas as they stay in Syria in this area uh, to continue. But let's pick up in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. And uh, let's just ask the Lord to bless our study again. And Father, again, we, we can't ask you enough. To speak through your word. This is the words that, that you wrote through uh, the, the men that you chose by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that God, as you wrote them, that God, you would speak them to us and teach us and instruct each one of us this morning by your spirit. And together, God, we look forward to your coming. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 36 says, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp uh, that they uh, parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. 
But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. You know, so here we see that Paul says, let's go back and do that world tour again. Let's go back on all the tour stops that we went on uh, in our missionary journey and see how everyone's doing and make sure that everyone's okay. You know, we just brought this letter. We've encouraged the churches. Let's make sure everyone else is doing okay too, that nothing else has kind of crept in and snuck in. And when we read the letters, uh, the epistles of the New Testament, we see that, that Paul does address some of these things to these churches that he's visited before to make sure that they're doing okay and not weighed down with false doctrine or anything. But I think that's really the heart of the pastor is that he wants to go back and encourage the brethren that Paul is not so much interested in, in gaining new ground all the time as he is making sure that the ground that they had gained was taken care of, so to speak, that the people that he had met along the way were doing okay, that the people that um, uh, he had brought the gospel to, that had come to faith, that he had discipled or had relationships with were doing okay. And I think that that's the real heart of a pastor is wanting to go back and do that. And I think about uh, my friends in New York or Indiana or other places, man, man, I I look forward to seeing them, you know, going up there for a wedding or maybe taking a trip out there, or I I look forward to that. And and I know many people in my life who would would feel the same way for me, who I get a text or a phone call from, or or I text or give a phone call to, to say, hey, how are you doing? You've been on my heart lately. I care about you. I feel like God's been laying on my heart. Even maybe even someone that you haven't even talked to in a while, and God begins to lay them on your heart to just say, "Hey, how are you doing?" And it's so good to hear that, man. When they are doing well, and even in a sense, it's good to hear when they're not doing well to be a part of uh, encouraging them. Or even when you yourself or myself are not doing well and having a hard time, and that friend or that pastor or whoever calls to check up on us and says, "Hey, how are you doing?" How encouraged do we feel then as someone who's moved on in life, so to speak, moved on to some other calling that God has brought them to? Oh man, they still care. It wasn't just a job. It wasn't just a place. It wasn't just a time, but it was a, a real relationship there. And I think that that's so important in our lives that we don't forget to encourage those along the way. You know, we're not going to be friends with everybody for our entire lives, um, you know, so to speak, where we're always doing everything with them. But man, may we not forget the people that we uh, have been friends with or been around, especially in the gospel. But we see here that there's a split and a contention. And I think that there's always room for grace in these things. Um, you know, but there's also not wanting to repeat the same mistakes. Paul saying, hey, you know, he bailed on us last time. I, I don't think he's ready to go with us. I don't want him to go with us. I don't, you know, maybe I don't trust him. We don't know the details of what they said, but there was a sharp contention there. There was a difference there. And I think that there's, that these things are going to happen. There are going to be splits. There are going to be differences, especially when it comes to, to ministry, even doing ministry. There's, you know, uh, I remember having meetings about how to do different outreach and stuff, and there'd be different opinions. And some, not that any of the opinions are really wrong, but one would be chosen and the other wouldn't. And, and far be it from us to, uh, to not expect there to be differences among us. But, uh, you know, there's going to be a split here, and they split ways. And that's going to happen. I think that's, that's okay. I mean, obviously, John Mark turns out okay in the long run. We have the book of Mark about uh, Peter's life uh, penned by John Mark. He, uh, we see them meet up again later as well. Um, but maybe it just wasn't time for him to go yet, at least with Paul. Maybe it wasn't time. I don't know. But I think the point maybe we can take from this is that we've got to trust the people that we serve with. That when we're serving God, especially on something as dangerous in their day and age as a mission trip, you know, uh, if we're going on a mission trip to the mall, you don't need to trust everyone with your life now these days. But if you're going to a hostile country, you're going, let's say you want to go to Iran right now, you probably would want to trust the person that you were called to go with because it was dangerous, a dangerous journey. Um, but I think that it helps to serve more effectively because when you can't trust someone, 
you're always kind of watching over and making sure you're doing okay. I mean, think about like micromanagement in a bad in a bad way when the managers don't trust the employees and they're always looking over your shoulder and it's hard to get work done. Uh, but in the same way, it's hard for you to continue and do what you need to do when you can't trust the other person that's with you to take care of what they're doing. I mean, even in a marriage, if, you know, if I was worried about my wife all day, there's no way I'd be able to focus on my job, but I'm not. I know that she's capable and can handle things and she's not going out and doing something that she shouldn't be doing. So I'm not worried about those things. I'm not worried about my kids, so to speak, and her care. I'm, I'm, I'm okay leaving the, I'm okay leaving every morning with my kids in her care. But if, but if let's say she was, God forbid, uh, a drug addict or something had gone seriously wrong in her life, man, I probably would have a little trepidation about leaving the kids in her hands. But thankfully, that's never happened. She should probably just be worried about leaving the kids in my hands at this point. But I think that that's the point here is that, man, sometimes you, you just really need to trust the people that you're with. And, and not that Paul wasn't maybe even saying anything bad about him, but he's saying, I just don't think he's ready to go on this trip with us. And I think that there needs to be a level of maturity there. Uh, you know, God used him at some point, but, uh, you know, obviously Mark went with Barnabas and we don't really see what happens with them here. So God used him, but it wasn't the path that was at least that God was focusing on here for the scripture, that this season was not for John Mark to go with Paul, you know? And I think that Paul's reason was that he had not gone with them to the work, not gone with them to the work. And I think that that's important. It's good reason. If you're going to do work that you're going to bring people who are going to do work with you. You know, if, if you're going to go out and do something, you don't want to bring a slacker with you. If you're going to go out and do a job, you know, you want to hire the people who are going to do the job well and get it done. You know, there's, there's verses about being, uh, an unfaithful man or a lazy man is like a foot out of joint or vinegar to the teeth that, man, it's like you can't just put any weight on it. You can't trust it. You know, and, and I, don't, I don't know that, um, you know, I don't really know all the details here. We're only told what we're given here, but it was a sharp contention. It was a sharp contention. And, you know, and I think it's very sad when you have to part companies, especially with someone who you've shared the gospel with, with you've ministered with, who even, you know, was, uh, was someone that you looked up to maybe at one point. You know, Barnabas was doing the work. Paul came along. Paul raised up. And then they kind of swapped positions. And at this point now, there's this sharp division among them. And it's always sad. It's always sad to part company, even on good terms. It's sad when you have to move. It's sad when you have to do something um, else or someone else moves on or whatever the case may be. You know, it's sad when the kids move out, you know. <laughs> Mia's never moving out. Jacob can move out as soon as he's got a job. <laughs> I love him, but you know, you know what I mean. But uh, seriously, Jake, I love you too, but get a job. But um, when it's time. <laughs> but I think that, you know, it's sad that they couldn't come to an agreement here. And I think that, you know, we need to realize that, that we're not always going to come to an agreement. We have to agree to disagree, as has been uh, said before, uh, that sometimes we're just not going to see eye to eye on things. Sometimes it's even going to be a sharp disagreement. And I think that they probably both had valid arguments. When they were having the sharp contention, I'm sure they both had valid reasons why or why not uh, John Mark should go with them. You know, I've had experiences with that where there's been people I know that have had sharp disagreements in leadership and have had to go separate ways. And I, I, I couldn't pick a side. I couldn't choose a side. I loved them both. And I said, well, you have a valid argument. You have valid points. You have a valid argument. And you have valid points. And I encourage you both to get to a reason on this. But when there was no end, they ended up having to part ways. And I think that that was just what had to happen. You know, I couldn't agree or disagree really to the nth degree with both of them. But he says here that they were committed to the grace of God. They were committed to the grace of God. And I think that we really need that to make it through life. 
especially in ministry, that, man, when we go out and we're a part of a church plan, or we go out and we're a part of a missionary journey, or we go out even just to step out the door every morning that we're committed uh, by other people to the grace of God, that other people would be praying for us, that we would be praying for other people. Because, man, as we see here, even those who are serving God will fail us. Even those who we've been serving alongside with will have a disagreement with. And we really need grace uh, to cover everything and to get through everything here. Let's go get into chapter 16 uh, in the first couple of verses here. Uh, then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number daily. You know, we see that as Paul and Barnabas split, Acts splits, and Acts follows uh, the path of Paul at this point. Um, you know, and we see here that, that Paul runs into a certain disciple. You guys remember we talked about Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira, and he was a certain man. No, but we see that there was a certain disciple here, that this was good, that, that out of the disciples, man, Timothy in this region really kind of stood out. He stood out. Timothy was a young man, as we'll see, eventually become the pastor of Ephesus, of his church in Ephesus. Um, but he had a Jewish mom and a grandma, that, as we see in, uh, other, in 2 Timothy, as we'll read in a minute. But he had a Greek dad, and he had a Greek dad. His parents were split, that his mom was of faith, and his dad wasn't of faith. Um, you know, we see sometimes you think that, oh, man, you know, uh, my wife's not a believer. My husband's not a believer. How am I going to raise godly kids? We see here that, that it is absolutely possible. Um, you know, and parents can have a, a great influence on faith. Like I was sharing before about the things my mom would share with me when I was little. There were the times my dad would pray for me when I was little. That They have a profound influence. Although I went my own way for a season, a long season, a, a horrible season, but God brought me back. And a lot of it was because of what the things uh, that my parents instilled in me when I was little and even seeing youth group where kids where the parents get saved and the kids are already in high school and the parents don't, the kids don't like it at first, but then they see the faith of their parents and the kids come around and the kids end up getting served, served and plug in. And then in turn say, come on, parents, step up here. You know, we do see that the parents can have a great influence on, on kids, especially in faith. But second Timothy one, one through seven, Paul says an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. You know, he's not his actual son, but he calls him a son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I have served from my forefathers with a pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembered uh, remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. He's saying that he's writing to Timothy here. Man, I can't wait to see you, Timothy. And I, I no, be confident that you have genuine faith, Timothy. That genuine faith that was in your grandmother, that was passed on to your mother, and that was passed on to you. It's in you. Don't be afraid. The faith that you have is real faith. And I think that it is awesome that that even though Timothy's dad was Greek, maybe his dad left at some point. We don't know. Maybe his dad died. We don't really know here other than the fact that Paul now calls him his son. Maybe his dad was still around. I don't know. Um, 
but to think that we have spiritual fathers sometimes in the faith. We have people that we can look up to that, man, that this person isn't my actual dad, but they're like a spiritual dad. I mean, we talked about it before. Maybe you have someone in your life who's not an uncle, but they just feel like a spiritual uncle to you. Or they feel like a spiritual mother. I remember a lot of these people um, being very formative in my life when I first got saved. That uh, They weren't my mom, but they felt like a mom. They weren't my grandmother, but they felt like a grandmother. It's so important that... Uh, that when the Lord brings people in our lives, that, we, that we're open to ministering to them in that way. But 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 14 says, But to the rest I speak, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife that believes not, and she be, well, uh, be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which has a husband believes not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else uh, were your children unclean, but now they are holy. You know, and we're not going to get into this real deep, but the fact that, hey, if you're a believer and your spouse is not a believer, that there's a spiritual power there, that there's a spiritual uh, covering in that home then. Um, you know, I think of my sister and her kids where her husband wasn't believing, but uh, there is a favor on their life because my sister was believing. Or, uh, you know, whatever the situation may be, that, man, that there's that uh, belief in the home, that there's a presence of God in the home that wouldn't be there if you weren't there. Um, and that, you know, to take heart in that if that's the case uh, for you or someone you know. But Timothy was well spoken of. You know, he had a good reputation that... Uh, he was, he was genuine, like that faith that was in him. And I wonder if we know anyone like that, that we think of who has a good reputation, that whenever we hear them spoken of, it's always good things, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a friend, whether it's a mother, whether it's a grandmother, whether whatever the case may be, that man, that they were, have this good, holy reputation. You know, that you just hear those good things about them. And, and, and that's someone, people that we need to look up to, people that we need to, to follow in a sense and say, hey, man, uh, why are they like this? Well, See how much time they spend with the Lord. See what their life is like with the Lord and their devotion to the Lord and the faith that's in them. But Paul took Timothy and circumcised them. And I think this is interesting, coming on the heels of the fact that he's telling all these Greek believers not to obey the law, to not, in a sense, that they don't need to obey the law to be faith. And yet, Paul comes the next chapter and finds this Greek, half Greek guy, says, Hey, you got to be circumcised. And I think that that's different here, you know, uh, again, because he had a Greek dad when he was growing up, his mom maybe wanted to circumcise his dad's like, no, that's crazy. We're Greek. We're not doing this, this tradition of yours, but he's an adult here. And Paul wants to be able to bring him into the Jewish community and minister to the Jewish community. It says that they all knew that he was Greek. They all knew that his father was Greek. You know, maybe he was blonde. I don't know. Maybe he didn't look Jewish. I don't know. Maybe he just, they just knew it. Um, uh, you know, maybe Timothy, uh, Timotheus, lover of God, that uh, one who honors God. Maybe they they just knew it by looking at him. But Paul says, hey, Timothy, you know, you've got genuine faith. Uh, I'm going to circumcise you so that you can come on this missions trip with us. And I think that that's crazy. You know, that's a, that's a commitment. You know, you're a faithful guy. You're serving the Lord. Paul and has come to town and you want to go on a mission trip with them. And they say, sure, the price of admission is... <laughs> I say, oh, I don't know, guys, I'll pray for you. <laughs> you know, have a good trip. But that's a commitment. I think of, you know, I've just been reading in Genesis and uh, some of my own time. And uh, you guys remember the story of Jacob's uh, daughter, Dinah, and how they were dwelling in the land. And uh, this guy, Shechem, young man, he was a prince of the land, saw her and saw how pretty she was and basically took her and raped her and then and fell in love with her and wanted to marry her and was begging his dad to make a deal with Jacob and his sons. And, and uh, basically they say, you know, 
sure, you can do that. You can marry them, but you all have to be circumcised first. And so being the leader of the land and very gung-ho about it, uh, all the adults are forced to be circumcised. I'd say, I'm sorry, I'm going to join another army at this point. Um, but they circumcise all the men, and several days later, while all the guys are still around in pain and can't walk, Jacob and his sons come in and annihilate these people um, because how they treated Dinah. And I think that, man, uh, being circumcised as an adult is not an easy thing. Not an easy thing. Uh, I felt so bad when they did it to my son. <laughs> you know, I'm just glad he won't remember it. <laughs> uh, but Paul, Silas, and Timothy... Basically, they, they set off and they keep delivering the letter about this freedom from the burden of the law. The freedom that, man, just love Jesus and make sure you stay away from immorality. Make sure you stay away from weird things like things not cleaned of blood. And, and also try and respect the Jewish people that you're living among. And they keep delivering that letter to the, regency, the region. And I think that that's important. That you know, It's been said that consistency is key. I mean, it's even in the, in the real world that there's consistency. Look at the way things are designed or developed or advertised or uh, engineered or methods. That there has to be consistency in order to get things done in the right way. And they're very consistent in the way they deliver their message. They've got this message. They've shared it. These people know it. Let's go on and keep sharing it. Let's move on and keep sharing it. And uh, I think it's important to do that because not everyone knows everything. I mean, it's important that we share the gospel, that we, when we study the Bible together, maybe when you share the Bible or in your small group study, that just because you feel like maybe it's, oh, this is a silly point, I shouldn't bring it up, or everyone knows this, I shouldn't bring it up, that you still bring it up, because not everyone knows everything, and even then, we also need to be reminded of things. I mean, uh, we were reading a Bible story to Mia the other night in Jacob before bedtime, and my wife didn't know the story. I mean, she said, well, I think I've read it, but I don't really know the details, so we sat down. And we read the Old Testament story together. You know, it's this obscure story in Kings, and it was just a blessing. And I think that that's probably part of my problem growing up around the church, at least, or at least being exposed to it as a kid. I, I still feel like everyone knows uh, all the same things that I know. Um, and I don't know a lot by any stretch of imagination, but I feel like, you know, sometimes, oh, I don't need to say that, or I don't need to mention that. You know, they know that. But um, don't be afraid to speak up when, when the Lord lays something on your heart. But it says here that the churches were strengthened in the faith, that, that the real strength in their church was because of the faith, that, man, they realized that their faith in Jesus was enough. Their faith in God was enough, and that was enough to keep them getting through. And I think that that's important, that when we do listen to a message, when we do even get to share a message or bring uh, the gospel somewhere, that the point is to increase other people's faith, that we might encourage them in their faith, and that even if we have to bring a hard message, I mean, I can remember teaching through Corinthians at some point or teaching certain things at the youth group and going, this is hard, but the point is not to beat them down, but that their faith would be encouraged, that people would be encouraged to, to put their faith in Jesus and trust in Him and be freed from burdens. I mean, if, if we're coming to a Bible study and we just feel burdened, I'd question it, you know, question why I feel burdened, you know, I have to live holy and that's a burden or is it really like, is it really freeing you? Uh, even if it means you have to do more, do less, or do you feel free spiritually or not? But it says that these churches increased in number daily. And I think again, that perhaps this is a different time and this is why it's growing daily. But I think sometimes it's very foreign to us and it shouldn't be foreign to us that the church is growing daily. I mean, maybe we'll never get bigger than this and that's, that's fine. But Man, if we see the church growing, it shouldn't be a surprise to us. We see people coming to faith, it shouldn't be a surprise to us. And I think to me, sometimes it is. I'm like, wow, you came to faith? Wow, you want to hear about the gospel in this day and age? It's like, it, it can be a surprise. And maybe we shouldn't be as surprised as we are sometimes. Uh, but maybe that's just more for me. But let's go on. Um, and 
verse, I was going to say chapter six, but verse six says, now when they had gone through uh, Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. That's interesting. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. And after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. You know, it's interesting that uh, we see here that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. They had, they had uh, encountered a lot of opposition previously. There had been persecution. They had been run out of town. Paul had been beaten unto death. Um, and it's all been from unbelievers or people who were believing in the wrong thing. Uh, but here we see that God himself and the Holy Spirit uh, forbids them uh, to preach the word in Asia. And that's interesting. Uh, why would God even do that? You know, Asia is modern day Turkey and that area. It's not Asia when we think of China per se at this point yet. Um, but man, it's interesting. Why would God do that? You know, the word is to hinder, to prevent, even to forbid, is to withhold a thing from them. To deny or refuse one a thing. You know, why would God do that? Maybe he had better plans. Maybe he had reasons. You know, Mia wanted a donut first thing in the morning. And I'm like, <laughs> just wait a little bit later. You can have one after church. She's like, but I want one. And I'm saying, well, not right now. It's too early. Just because I, you know, her having her donut is one thing. But I don't want her to have a donut at like 930 in the morning or 10 o'clock, whenever it was. That's the same thing. Sometimes God has different plans as our father. You know, we want to go share the gospel somewhere. And God says, no, I'm not going to open the door for that. I've got something else to go on there. And I think we need to remember that, that sometimes God has better plans. Maybe like John Mark, you know, maybe he wanted to go on this mission trip with Paul. Paul was like, no way, you're not going this time. And maybe there's times in our lives when we want to go and do something. We feel God maybe even leading us to do something and the door gets shut and you go, what happened? I tried to get this. I thought God was giving me this job and the door was closed. I thought God was bringing me to this wife, but she turned out not to be who she said she was. Or I thought this, or I tried to go share the gospel with my family over the holidays and no one responded. What is going on here? What is going on? You know, sometimes God has reasons for these things. You know, maybe it was even uh, had to do something with the fact that Paul was from that region. Paul is from Tarsus and he was from that area and maybe people were familiar with him. I don't know, but Luke 4.24 says, uh, Then Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. You know, maybe God had different reasons. Maybe these people maybe knew who Paul was. I don't know. This is speculation here. But sometimes maybe God can't use us in the places we want to go. You know, Paul wanted to go to the, the Jewish people, but God used Paul to go to the Gentile people. You know, maybe his reputation hurt him. I don't know. You know, not that God couldn't use him there, but maybe there was a better plan. Maybe there's a more effective place, as we'll see here, for Paul to be used at this time uh, and for his witness. You know, you think of uh, when you get saved and you try and reach the people around you, sometimes they don't respond. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. Um, you know, I, I would wonder why God wouldn't call me to go in the area where I grew up. Well, maybe it's because for whatever reason, he's got a better plan than that. Maybe I just, I would backslide there. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, but God's got different reasons and, and purposes and plans here. And we'll see here in a minute perhaps why God was uh, closing all these doors for them. And it says that they tried to travel, but the Spirit did not permit them. And this word is very similar. It means to allow, to permit. It means to allow uh, one to do as he wishes, uh, to restrain, to not restrain or let alone to give up, to let go. It's like that God didn't give them permission. God didn't allow them. Dad, I want to go to the mall night with my friends. No, not going to happen. You know, I'm not going to let you go see that movie. <laughs> you know, 
whatever whatever reason it was, as we'll see here, I think I know why, but God said, no, it's not going to happen. And I think that we need to allow God to have that authority in our lives, even over good things. That God, I want to go do this thing. It's for you, God. It's got you written all over it. It's a Bible study. How come? And God says, no. I think, not that maybe Paul wasn't qualified or Barnabas wasn't qualified or Timothy. Um, Barnabas wasn't with them then, but, you know, that it wasn't necessarily anything wrong with Paul, but that God had a better plan here, a better purpose there, that we can't always take things personally when God says no. We just have to go, okay, God, you know why you didn't want us to do it. Maybe you have something else. You know, I think I was reminded of when I was studying this about Samson, how God had given Samson all this power, and at some point the spirit departed from him when Samson was disobedient, and he didn't realize that. And I think that that can happen to us in a sense. Not that God's spirit would depart from us in the same way that he departed from Samson. But man, when, when God says no to something, and we begin to step out and do it anyway, that we find that, wow, God's spirit and God's power is lacking in our lives. It's, well, it's because God said no to that. It's God said no to that. And maybe it's not even a bad thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's even a good thing. But we know that Paul claimed to be a bondservant, right? And a lot of letters he wrote, he says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ, a doulos of Jesus, a slave to him. You know, and even if he didn't claim that, we know that Paul's a child of God, just like you and I are children of God. When we come to faith in Jesus, we are now children. The whole world isn't God's children, they're God's creation. But when we come to faith in Jesus, we become his children. And, uh, you know, just because you want to do something doesn't mean you can or should or be allowed to do it. This is a lot of things that we talk with my daughter lately, you know, that... Uh, Mia, I would love to play with you right now, but I have to clean up. You know, I'll play with you as soon as we're done. Or Mia, I know you want to play right now, but we need to clean up first. Or, uh, you know, it's so cute, but she gets upset when I have to go to work. And it's, uh, she doesn't quite understand that. It's like, I have to do it. It's not that I don't want to stay home and watch Daniel Tiger and eat waffles with you, but I have to go so that you can watch Daniel Tiger and you can eat waffles. You know, if I don't go, that doesn't happen. You know, and it's not because, you know, I want to be home with them. And I think that that's, Something we need to, to understand sometimes is sometimes we have to go do something else. Sometimes God wants us or needs us for our own good to do something else. You know, we think of David. David was disqualified for a good reason from building the temple, and yet he did everything he could to help the temple be built uh, for Solomon. He gathered, began to gather together uh, things for that temple. But we see here that maybe it wasn't disqualification for them. I don't think that necessarily was. I think it's because, as we see here, that there was someone praying. There was someone in need, that there was a distress call going out here, that they were answering someone else's 911 call. And I think if, man, if God is hearing this prayer of this man in Macedonia, and Paul and the guys have a good desire to go do this thing, but there's someone in dire need of hearing the gospel, who hasn't been reached before, who needs the gospel, man, of course God's going to send them back this way. Of course God's going to do that. And, you know, I think sometimes God is going to give us a vision, guys. God's going to give us a direction and even provision in our lives to step out and go in a certain direction in faith. But as we're attempting to carry that out, doors are going to close. Things are going to begin to happen. We're going to go, wait a minute, maybe there's something else going on. Why? I thought God brought me this way. I thought God led me in this way. And I think it's because a distress signal goes up and it must be answered. You know, if you're, if you're on a hike with your family or something in the woods, and you see a red flare go off or you hear someone scream for help, hopefully you're not going to keep walking and pretend you didn't hear it or pretend you didn't see it. You know, hopefully you're going to either call 911 or if you're the adventurous type, you're going to go and try and uh, rescue those people. Uh, you're not just going to ignore them like the Good Samaritan. You're going to get down there and say, yeah, I'm on my journey, but there's a, a more pressing need at this point. You know, and I think that that's love, that, man, what's God's real love is that we would lay down our lives 
for our friends, right? That when, when there's a need going on, we're going to say, yeah, uh, maybe I do need to stay home from work today and spend time with my family. Maybe I do need to take a day off. Or maybe I do need to, to, to not go to Bible college and go take care of my ailing grandmother or something. You know, maybe there is something like that. Because sometimes we can get so caught up in doing some spiritual thing that we miss out on the real thing that God wants us to do. And that's to, to love each other and to care for each other. But they were trying to go up and they get prevented. So they go back down. And as they're going, Paul's night is here where they find out about that vision. They're going up. God doesn't allow them. They go over here. God doesn't allow them. So they start going another direction. You know, it's kind of like pinball. And uh, one night, uh, Paul has a vision. And I don't think that this was a dream. I don't think that this was Paul had a bunch of cold stone. He had a crazy dream from all the sugar he had. But uh, I think it was a real vision, a real vision. And dreams sometimes are just that. You know, the Bible says that dreams come from a multitude of activity or a multitude of business. That sometimes you're doing a lot of things, you're thinking a lot of things, you're worried about a lot of things, you're interested in a lot of things, and your brain kind of does this memory dump, and you get this amalgam of these things that you're worried and thinking about. Um, uh, but a vision really is something entirely new. It's fresh. It's from the Lord. It's it's maybe you're not even sleeping, like we saw Peter kind of in a trance before lunch, and he had the vision of the sheet coming down from heaven. But it wasn't of his own doing. It wasn't of his own desire, so to speak. Paul wanted to go a completely different direction, and God called him to go this one way. And I think, too, when we do have dreams, that dreams might have weight to them. We do need to consider them. The Bible talks a lot about dreams, and there are dreams that God uses to show up to people. I mean, more often than not, it's usually when there's no scripture involved, when the people don't have Bible verses or someone to turn to, God shows up to them. But I wouldn't discount them completely. I wouldn't go the other way and say, oh, I'm going to go online and get my dreams interpreted and, and, and go nuts in that way. But I think sometimes God can give us dreams, and uh, we do need to consider them and uh, care for them. And he may even give you interpretations for them. You know, but other times it's just the coffee. So I think we need to be very careful and weigh them out because God's real uh, vision for us is outlined in the Scripture. And, and anything that we do dream or vision should line up with the Scripture so that we're not building giant temples with golden angels on top. That gave us a message from <laughs> somewhere. But I digress. We see that Paul gets his vision of a man of Macedonia. You know, it's north of Greece, south of Kosovo. If you remember in the 90s, those conflicts over there. Uh, but he pleased with him, almost as if it was like a video conference. You know, Paul's got the video conference going on. And this vision, this man's pleading, come to us, come to us, help us, take care of us, please care for us. And I wonder, you know, was it a direct video conference between Paul and this man? Or was it, was God just sharing with Paul what God was seeing of this man praying and this man pleading? I don't know. But Paul saw it. And this word here is parakaleo. Think of the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. That this word that this man was pleading for was that they would call to one side, that they would admonish, that he was begging them uh, to console them, to, res to be comforted them, to encourage them, to strengthen them but also to instruct and teach them. That this man, they didn't have the teaching of God there. They didn't have the vision of God there. And Paul didn't need to go back at this point and encourage everybody, even though it was a good heart and the right heart to have, but God wanted to bring this person there to use them, to bring aid. Uh, you know, it was a spiritual crisis, a spiritual crisis. You know, when there's an earthquake or something that goes on, we send aid. America sends aid. Churches go down there. Guys like Billy Graham and the association, they go down there and they share um, and they bring aid. But just as much, when we see a spiritual need like that, when God gives us a vision of a spiritual need, we need to be very uh, uh, willing to go and take care of that, even if it goes against everything else we want to do, right? But he says, uh, after he sees the vision, again, it's the clearly not a dream, they immediately sought to go up, that they didn't waste any time here. And, you know, start packing. When God gives you a vision, and it's an important one, especially a man pleading with you, 
get ready to go right away. You know, and they concluded from this vision that they, God wanted them to, to preach the gospel there. It's very interesting. They're trying to go out and, and serve here and serve here, and God keeps closing the door and closing the door and closing the door. Uh, what do we do, God? I get a vision. This is obviously the Lord. God obviously wanted to bring him that way. And uh, even though it was the opposite way they wanted to go, I mean, we com- compare Abraham and Jonah. Uh, for homework, read Genesis 22, 1 through 3, and Jonah 1, 1 through 3. And we see two very different reactions between uh, uh, Abraham in Genesis 22 and Jonah in Jonah 1, about when the word of the Lord comes to them and how they react and what they do. And we kind of know how it turns out for both of them, I think. You know, th- those three verses show very different reactions to God's word there. And we're going to read a, a few more verses here before we close out. Let's go on in verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and next, ga- next day came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where uh, prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord... Come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. You know, it says right here that they ran a straight course. They ran a straight course that we talked about before. They didn't take a scenic route. They didn't stop and get Burger King on the way. They went straight and got on a boat and sailed to an island. They stayed at the island overnight because of the length of the journey. They went the next day to the the city on the shore, uh, Neapolis, and then they went straight to Philippi, which was the chief city of the region. That when God called them to go there, they said, okay, we're not going to dilly-dally and go find some farmhouse somewhere. We're going to go right to the capital of the region. Um, uh, Philippi just uh, is east of Thessalonica. So if you think of Philippians and the letter of Thessalonians, very similar region here. But again, exactly what it says is a straight course. Um, you know, you guys, uh, we've all probably been in an emergency situation before or had to get somewhere for an emergency. Um, the first real one I could think of growing up is when 9-11 happened. And uh, someone I knew, their, their father was in the World Trade Center, and we had to rush to get back uh, to their house and just flying straight course. You know, we're not going to stop for lunch. This is an emergency. Something's going on. Um, or when kids are about to be born and you get in the car and you rush to go to get to the hospital. You know, I remember... Um, uh, I don't remember, if it was, I guess it was with Mia, but I don't remember why. I guess there's something wrong in the middle of the night, or maybe uh, it was a blur, but in the middle of the night, we, had to, we rushed to the hospital, and we went there fast. I remember turning on the, the hazard lights and slowing down at red lights and going through them because no one was there, and, you know, go ahead and pull me over. I'm getting my family to the hospital. You know, something's wrong here. I think, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know if it was, uh, it, was, I, it, was it was when, Ashley was pregnant with me, so it was either something for Ashley or me. It was really young. Um, but, uh, you know, you take the quickest and the fastest route. You know, you don't care about the sights. Uh, it's kind of like when you go to work on Monday morning or maybe even more when you're coming home from work. You don't care about the sights. You just want to get home. You know, you don't want to stop. And, oh, let's look at how great it is in the parking lot here at work. No, you get right in your car and you get on the highway and you come home. But that's because it was important to them, and they knew uh, this was um, the calling of God and that they didn't want to waste any time there. You know, then they get there and they hang around for some time and nothing happens. You know, where's this guy? <laughs> you know, we don't see him anywhere. Uh, but then on, on Saturday, on the Sabbath, they go to where the people meet. You know, that there was this rule for the synagogue that there had to be 10 Jewish men 
and that would be enough to start a synagogue in the day. But we don't see that there were 10 Jewish men there, that there was a bunch of women who met there. You know, maybe there was a man or two, but we don't, we don't hear about that. We hear about women who met to pray. And I think that that's awesome that there's this power of the spiritual women there, that God sees these women meeting, and in a sense, God answers their prayer. You know, but there's not a Macedonian man in sight. Was there a Macedonian man? Maybe he was somewhere else in Macedonia praying, and God answered his prayer by bringing them here. Or maybe God gave him a vision of a man because maybe they wouldn't have listened to a bunch of women crying out, come help us. You know, I don't know. But, um, uh, you know, again, those are just uh, speculations there. But really, we don't see a Macedonian man. We see a bunch of women together praying here. You know, this woman, Lydia, she sold purple linen. And, you know, in the Roman Empire, purple was a color of royalty. It was expensive fabric. Um, you know, maybe she was well off. She had her own business. But she worshipped and revered God. I think that's awesome. She reminds me of a Proverbs 31 woman who's going out and doing business, and uh, she probably was wealthy, um, but that she loved God. And I think that's awesome. Anytime you meet someone who loves God, it's awesome. But I think uh, uh, finding someone who's wealthy and someone who uh, has all that money and that, that position in society who loves God genuinely and reveres God is more of a rarity. Not that it's any more of a, a, a valid faith than someone who doesn't have those things, but man, what a blessing it is uh, to meet someone who's so, um, who realizes that when they have all that wealth, um, that God has given it to them and that they're, they're freed from it. They're not changed by it. And I met a lot of people like that um, uh, in, my, in my short time with the Lord. But it says here that they were baptized. That's great. That maybe she didn't even know the truth, the whole truth about Jesus, but she revered God. She was coming down to obeying the law, being a good, uh, obeying the Jewish law. Paul comes, she gets saved, she gets baptized. And uh, her whole household does. Again, we see a whole household coming to faith. But I think it's interesting how she says that, man, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, if you look at me and say, yeah, I'm faithful to God, would you please come and stay with me? Would you please come use my house? Would you please come stay in here? Um, and let me take care of you guys. And I think that that's, that's awesome, that our real measure of trust in someone is their faithfulness to the Lord. That Paul didn't want John Mark to go with him at this time because John Mark kind of bailed on them before. That Paul had a need and took Timothy with him because he saw Timothy's faithfulness to the Lord and genuine faith that was in him. And that when they met and they followed the call of God to this woman, they meet Lydia, we see that there's a genuine faith in her and they are persuaded, it says, to stay with her um, as a group in her house uh, there that she might take care of them um, because she wanted to see God do a work there. I think that's great, you know, when, when you go somewhere and you meet people and you see God working in them and they just want to get uh, God's work done and it's not about them, but it's about the Lord, you know. And she persuaded them, you know, she was willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that the gospel had room there, that there was room in her house. And, and uh, you know, I think of you guys, everyone here has been so accommodating and so willing to, to help out. Hey, what can I do? Or, hey, you can use our house. Or, hey, whatever the case may be, um, uh, to make sure the gospel uh, could go out. And I think that that's, that's the way we all should be, that we should be open to uh, encouraging others in the faith. Um, you know, that we need to be faithful to the gospel. We need to be faithful to the gospel, not to turn back uh, when the call is on our lives, not to bail on those around us. Um, but we need, also need to be faithful to the call, that even if we're going out and we have it in our heart to do something for the Lord, and then God says, Nope, I'm going to bring you a different direction, that we'd be willing to go that direction. And we'd be willing to go in at a moment's notice and not dilly-dally, but and not beat around the bush and not take the scenic route, but go on the, that straight course. And that we'd be willing to respond when we get there and things don't look exactly like we thought it was. We don't find the Macedonian man. We find a group of women that um, we begin to, to go and do what God has, has called us to do. Um, amen.
Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for using Paul and Barnabas and Mark and Silas and Timothy and, and Lydia and, and these women and the Macedonian man. And we thank you that, uh, God, you work in ways that are beyond our finding out sometimes. And that, God, even when it seems like you're closing all the doors or things aren't working out the way we expect, that, God, you've got plans and purposes for that. And that you're not done with any of us if it is a disqualifying reason. And if we aren't disqualified, uh, but, God, you just have a different plan, a better plan. God, uh, help us to be okay with that. I'm willing to go ahead in that. So, Lord, I pray you bless uh, my brothers and sisters here and uh, bless our families. And, uh, Lord, help us to take a straight course um, after you. In Jesus' name, amen.